Hello everyone, it's Nico here in Deep Growth in Scotland podcast. Uh, yes, I'm so excited to let you know that this is the second episode. Yes, we did it. And uh, now I'm going to be talking to fantastic guests uh, with me. They're all going to be talking to me in different areas of Scotland. So I'm going to have uh, Abby Modern, she best in Dumfries, Galloway. And then I got Carl Gordon in the Highlands. So on this episode, all the episodes, I'll be asking three questions. They're all the same questions for all the guests. So yes, um, this podcast, all the interviews and series, they're brought to you by Enough Scottish Degrowth Network. Best in Glasgow. Um, so yes, uh, I'm going to just go straight to Dumfries. Hi, um, so I'm Abby, um, Abby Morden. Um, I co-run a cooperative, workers' cooperative called Propagate. Um, Propagate is based across different parts of Scotland. We've got quite a lot of propagators in Glasgow. Um, I'm in Dumfries and Galloway, which is a rural area in the southwest of the country. Um, and uh, we've got some propagate propagate people and projects in places like Wishaw uh, and in uh, Kilmarnock as well. So we do uh, a whole range of different kind of local community uh, and uh, sustainable food related projects. So that's our speciality is, is food, sustainable foods, good food, resilient foods, uh, climate friendly foods. Um, all different things like that. Um, so I personally do uh, sort of some different different types of work. I work with communities, um, with young people, with adults with support needs, um, connecting people to where their food comes from, that kind of work. Um, I also work with farmers. Um, so working with the farming community in this area, uh, looking at um, kind of moving away from quite... Um, a sort of resource intensive agriculture to more nature friendly agriculture um, and and then I also work with uh, councils local authorities and the public sector um, helping helping them to move towards better food systems as well so yeah a whole range of different stuff okay let's move on to the first question the first question is how would you exp- explain or describe degrowth or decolonization? Um, I think to answer that question, um, we need to look at what what is growth and what is <laughs> But um, I guess the first the first part of that is what what is growth, um, and in this context, we are talking about economic growth uh, and this kind of paradigm, this ideology that that we need to have endless economic growth to create more wealth and more GDP, um, more gross domestic products. Um, you know, we need, we need more money, we need, we need more capital. And some people might say, well, what's, what's wrong with that? Surely that brings us jobs, that brings us happiness and, you know, all the things, all the things that we want. We can get the next TV, we can get the next car, um, you know, we can get all the stuff and we're all, we're all happier because we're all richer. Um, but it doesn't work like that. <laughs> In reality, um, that economic growth is dependent on um, the Earth's resources. There is basically no economic growth happening without um, without the use of fossil fuels like coal and oil. 
uh, without mining for the precious metals that we have in our phones, without the lithium that's being used to create electric car batteries. And all of those are the Earth's resources. So our economic growth is dependent on extracting and using the Earth's resources. Um, and those resources are finite. They, they have a they have a limited life lifespan. Um, they're, they're not never ending. So we cannot have this endless growth on essentially a finite planet. We only have one planet. So there's, there's that side of, of growth. And the other, the other side of growth is that um, because most of the companies, the multinational companies and corporations that are perpetuating this endless growth are really only answerable to a small number of shareholders um, and directors who tend to get paid um, well, got into the millions, if not billions. Um, so this growth really only uh, benefits the rich and doesn't, this, the trickle-down effect that, that people kind of talked about decades ago doesn't really happen. We still have massive inequalities between the very rich and the very poor all over the world. Um, so so that's, that's growth for a start. And then um, colonisation. Uh, colonialism by any by another words um it's really kind of around the uh structures and systems um of power that enable growth uh so that's about um that's the politics the politicians the politics and the corporations that are behind this we need we need endless growth kind of rhetoric so historically going back I guess hundreds of years, um, we would we would sort of that we can characterise that as the, the sort of European white man, and it was usually men, um, who, generally speaking, capitalists, the first of their first of their kind, uh, who went set off across the world, let's plunder uh, and um, colonise whatever countries we can. So that was India, Zimbabwe, Kenya, and of course North America. Um, and I guess our hidden colonialism in this country would be the highlands of Scotland, um, where the, the kind of the, the lands people were cleared off the lands there. So those colonialists, those early colonialists, um, not only plundered those countries for their resources, but also oppressed the people and uh, repressed those cultures. Um, so, so to decolonize i guess well and the other the other thing is is that now um yeah those systems of oppression can be seen not just on a cultural level but uh kind of oppressing other voices such as people who are disabled people who are genderqueer um yeah different um different ways of thinking essentially so there's lots and lots bound up in in this kind of colonialism and colonialist mindset um and it's about oppression and it's about power so degrowth and decolonization are the opposite of those things. So degrowth is around finding alternative ways of living and being. Um, that means that we do not have to endlessly squander and plunder the Earth's resources, but looking at what we've got and saying we have, we have, we have enough, there's enough, and there's enough to go around. And also deconstructing those power structures that enable that endless growth as well um, and to decolonize is to de decolonization is around um, intentionally seeking to dismantle those structures and to 
to, and just to sort of from, from build alternatives to those ideologies and those mindsets, um, which perpetually kind of, you know, wants to repress and suppress other people and other cultures. And importantly, it's about uh, reconnecting um, with you know, people who have lived closest to the earth in the past and reconnecting reconnecting to the earth and re reconnecting to indigenous cultures that have, that have lived closest to the earth. It is explicitly anti-racist and is it explicitly makes space for minority voices. Well, explanation there about degrowth. Yes, I've got a second question for you. How do you put these ideas into practice in your work or in community? Yeah, so as I said in my introduction, um, most of my work is around food. And uh, so I guess, um, yeah, what I tried to do is, <laughs> I was thinking about this this morning, um, was a, a sort of decolonization of our food system and degrowing, de degrowing our food system, which is a funny thing to do because, uh, or a funny, a funny way to frame it, because obviously as a, I grow things, I run a market garden. Um, so I'm a, I'm a grower, so that's a lot of growing, a lot of growth, in fact, growth is all around me, it's spring at the moment and things are growing, so um, to talk about degrowth is quite odd when you're a gardener, uh, but, <laughs> but, but on a practical level, what, what do I actually do? Um, so around the connecting people to where their food comes from, um, that's a couple of different things for me. Um, it's um, kind of this, this kind of teaching people to grow their own food, teaching people to cook with vegetables. There's lots of things that have been lost um, over many generations. Um, so I worked for, for 13 years in, in Glasgow and yeah, I worked with guys in their 50s who um, didn't know how to chop an onion and had never really cooked, cooked a meal uh, themselves. Um, you know, this, this kind of rise of the supermarket culture, the the sort of ping microwave meals, um, the easy access to um, takeouts, to fish suppers, uh, means that people have lost this connection to, to, to where their food comes from. They don't see it growing any longer. They very rarely have an opportunity to grow it themselves. Um, you know, I work with kids who, when you say to them, <coughs> excuse me, and we say to them, you know, where, where does your food come from? Um, they say the supermarket. Um, so it's kind of absolute lack of perception around who is producing our food. Who is producing our food, where it is produced and, and how it is produced and who, and who is producing it. Um, so I guess the first part of the work that I do is around that, but that also extends to then um, connecting to the earth and, and our planet and ecosystems and biodiversity. In different ways, um, because our our food and our food production is dependent on healthy um, and thriving ecosystems and and healthy biodiversity. <coughs> I should brought some water with me. Sorry. Um, um, yeah. So that's the, I got some notes here. <laughs> so that's the first part of, of kind of what I do. Um, the second part is around food justice. And I was just on the phone to, to, to a young guy that lives in North Glasgow in Balonek this morning. Um, I don't know where he got my phone number. He just phoned me totally randomly. I had, he had all these ideas around um, urban food production. He wanted to sort of get a bit of land and, and take these containers deep underground and grow, um, grow do vertical indoor farming, growing strawberries and, and this kind of thing, and then like creating a, a, a permaculture garden. 
sorry, a guy on the um, on the on the, um, the ground level as well. And he he said in the conversation, he said like he goes to the local shops in North Glasgow around Balonek, and he just sees racks and racks and racks of sweeties and you know crap foods wrapped in plastic and then at the back there's this kind of really sad looking vegetable stand with some mouldy looking potatoes and some floppy looking carrots and it's really expensive um so food justice is is really around um and around everybody having equal access to affordable good healthy food um and being able to, to sort of make decisions around the food that they they have that they're able to eat you know it's they have this kind of like um unequal society where the good food is is expensive and it's in it's in wealthy areas and then sort of you know less affluent areas um of town cities and countrysides um don't have access to, to sort of you know good quality um healthy locally produced food so the food justice element really extends that it's that equal access kind of thing but it's also looking at um and having global solidarity for um sort of farmers who and, and workers who produce our food in, in other countries um so for example if you if you sort of you know get your standard veg from a supermarket if it says spain or morocco um on the packets origin of it's a very good chance that that those vegetables have been grown by by people who are being essentially they're in the sort of um uh, sort of dentured working sort of um modern slavery kind of conditions um, largely speaking, because they they're sort of um, asylum seekers, but not actually asylum seekers, undocumented migrants um, who have arrived in northern Spain and haven't managed to make an asylum claim, so they're working illegally. But that means they can be exploited, and they are exploited um, by by the the, the the corporations that that run these massive farms, and the farms are not. They're not ecological farms. They're not producing their food in a good way. So there's a huge amount of pesticides and huge amounts of fertilizers being used, spraying the vegetables. So people are basically workers in slavery, modern slavery, and bad production. Um, so it's that kind of like, you know, opening people's eyes up to the, the injustice of that um, and campaigning and lobbying against that at the same time. Um, so that's that's another part of what I do, and yeah. uh, another um, element of my work is uh, around promoting agroecology and permaculture methods. And these are buzzwords, obviously, so I'll unpack them a little bit. And agroecology is literally agriculture and ecology. So you put these things together, and you've got um, sort of farming with nature, um, nature-based farming, which. Uh, kind of uses our ecosystems our natural processes um, and biodiversity to to kind of farm better uh, in a way that is um, better for nature better for the soil better for our, our climates and, and planets um, and permaculture is another is another kind of way of saying the same sort of thing it's uh, it's kind of looking at the natural systems and working with nature to produce our food rather than against nature so um, I run quite a lot of workshops on, on these kinds of topics and I work with farmers uh, to, to look at, at kind of moving from industrial conventional farming to nature-based and agroecology kind of farming. Um, okay, I wanted to add something, but sorry, I'll cut you off. Um, you mentioned, you know, I used to think opposite. When I see the foods from Morocco, Spain, 
and stuff. I used to think, oh, this is organic. This is from the exotic, from the sunshine and stuff. So I'm sure there's many people think like me. So I think we made a really good, powerful point there, people to acknowledge that those food comes from modern slavery. I did not know that. And I think really I learned a lot on that one. Yeah, um, unfortunately, if you if you look at yeah, but pretty much any supermarket produce, unless it says it's organic, um, you know, that's then it would be, it would have been grown under these conditions. <laughs> so lots of resource consumption and and generally speaking, yeah, the sort of low wage low wage um, economy of exploitable exploitable people, I suppose. Um, yeah, so I got two, two two other two other things that I can I can mention under this. Um, I guess, uh, yeah, all the things that I do kind of build and work towards a picture of um, food sovereignty. Um, which, and food sovereignty is uh, another buzzword, so um, literally means it's a sort of a globally agreed definition of food sovereignty. Um, and that is around um, everybody should have equal access to affordable, good, healthy food. So everyone, regardless of their social, uh, economic or cultural backgrounds, should have equal access to affordable, good, healthy food. That is culturally appropriate, um, and that our food should be produced in a way that is good for the environment, good for the planet, um, and uh, that people should be able to people who, who eat and grow and consume that food should be able to be part of creating of their own food systems. Um, so yeah, back to the supermarket thing and that supermarket veg, those supermarket vegetables. Um, you know they've they've been kind of produced all over the world, and they're all part of global supply chains. So you've got all your your produce flying in from all over the place. You know, huge amounts of of, um, of kind of food miles and carbon footprint miles on that. Um, so another big part of what I do is looking at kind of local supply chains um, and cooperative distribution systems. So out here in Dumfries and Galloway, um, I work with um, other local producers. As I said, I, I run a market garden. So I've got about an, half an acre of vegetables that I grow and sell locally. Um, but I also work with other farmers and other food producers um, in this area. And we've set up a, a, a sort of loose cooperative. Um, so we, we team up and every month uh, we, we sell our produce together, not in a real life market, um, but online. So, because everyone shops online these days, nice, <laughs> so people can go on the website and they can they can click, they can choose um, the organic beef, or they can choose um, my vegetables, or they can choose some jam or some chutney from over there, you know. And uh, and then we do a corporate distribution where we then um, bring all that together and then deliver it to to local people. Um, it is unfortunately more expensive, um, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, that's that's because it's uh, unfortunately the kind of farming that I do. Um, I don't get any uh, sort of grant payments or any subsidies uh, from the government. Uh, so my neighbours who farm cattle and and sheep um, and dairy, uh, they all get subsidies and payments um, through political mechanisms, um, which I'm not eligible for as a small scale vegetable producer. The last question is: There is a phrase: If it's not just it's not degrowth. What that means to you? 
the food from a food perspective, because that's what I'm obsessed with, is uh, is fair, fair and sustainable and um, healthy food systems. Um, so just um, means means fair, fair and equitable. Um, and it's not, it's not just about people; it's also about planet to me. So it's got to be fair to and healthy for our our ecosystems. Um, it's got to be fair for the people, the consumer, the people that are buying the food. It's got to be the right price, but also fair for the workers and people who are producing that food and working within the food system. Um, it's, uh, yeah, and I think how, as I said, how we get to that point is, is the biggest, the big question. Um, and it, it really is about sort of redistributing of our current wealth and our, our current resources um, and looking at how we do things differently. So, um, you know, in, in Scotland, we have um, we don't have equal access to land. That's a, that's a massive issue. Um, most of our land is owned by a small percentage of people. Um, as I said, I, I run a market garden and I rent a bit of land from my friends. And I've been trying for the last two years to to, to buy or, or lease a bit of land of my own, like a, a bigger bigger plot, so I can increase my vegetable production enterprise. Um, and uh, and that should mean I can bring my prices down as well. Um, but it's almost impossible because uh, the land is tied up in these farm payments and these subsidies. So the farmers get this, these, um, these grants from the government and they won't sell the land because to them more land equals more money. So, so I, I, as a kind of new entrant into farming, somebody that wants to, wants to get into it and like, like, you know, get access to land to start producing food. Um, I can't because all the land is tied up in, uh, in in money for other people already. So, so yeah, um, yes. Yeah, so if it's not if it's not just, then, then it's then it's not degrowth, and that's yes, yeah, absolutely true. Uh, you know, and it also comes back to this this equal access um, in in low income areas, and you know, making sure that the that the, the shops that we've got on street corners are serving and um, you know able to sell good quality produce and not not just like shelves and shelves and shelves of, of crap bread and like highly processed sweeties and stuff. Um, and there are some really good projects around around Glasgow that are doing that. There's some excellent, excellent work going on. There's a few community food shops. Um, so one particular one that I can think of is in uh, Govan. Um, and it's uh, in the Elder Park area of Govan. It's called Diggin. Um, and it's um, it's a little community greengrocers basically. So they 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 get their produce in from a range of different places. They get whole foods in from Green City. Um, Green City is a worker cooperative uh, in Denison. Um, so everyone uh, who works at Green City is paid the same wage. So that's another that's the first really good example of a kind of you know justice wage justice. Um, and the food that they that they kind of source and sell through Green City is um, uh, is, is that they have a really strict policy about it being um, sort of you know well produced, yeah, whether it's organic or, or ecologically produced, and also um, fairly traded. Um, so they they only distribute that kind of produce. So um, dig in, buy their produce from Green City. And then they buy their produce as well from the um, the big fruit and veg market in in uh, the east end of the city in East Glasgow, northeast Glasgow at Block End. Now that food is coming from all over the world, so some of it will not be um, will, will be unfairly traded in the, the way that I've been describing. Um, but I think they can have a, again a good sourcing policy, so they'll try and get their 
make sure they get good produce. Um, and they, they because they're, they're funded, they have um, they, they have a grant funding that enables them to keep going to rent that space and to pay the, to pay workers and have volunteers coming in and helping to run the shop. And it's run by a community um, community organisation. Uh, they managed to keep the, the prices nice and low. Um, so only put a tiny markup uh, on each of the products. So that means that local people in Govan via dig in have got access to you know to really good food on their doorstep um in what is a, a bit traditionally a very low income area um so that's one really good example um I as i was saying in the beginning of this episode i'll be talking to abby and abby modern she's in galloway in dumfries or dumfries galloway <laughs> yeah and then we'll be joined by a uh, call gordon is also in a different area of scotland he's in the highlands so yeah over to you Cole. My name's Carl Gordon. Um, thank you very much for having me. I'm um, a farmer's son who lives up in the Scottish Highlands. Um, and I have, in the last couple of years, moved back to a family farm. Um, and a lot of my work is, is, uh, is to do with, with that context and, and what that means, uh, both in terms of agriculture and also the, the land and how, how I've got, got here and how my... Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Um, so I think that like, uh, my, my background, as I say, is, is, is a lot to do with farming and growing and, and sort of living things. And, uh, I was thinking about this question and there was a book that I have called, um, growth and form. And it's about how in natural systems, there's various things and how they sort of, how they grow. So, you know, cells or plants or shells or horns or whatever and it's by a, a guy called Darcy Thomas uh, Thompson sorry and what I find really interesting is that like in the natural world you have growth is is a part of the natural world you have growth like growth isn't in and of itself a problem um, so you have in fact it's a necessity so there's a stage in anything that's living's life cycle where it will have to grow but at some point that's not the only process that's involved. So there's a saying um, that I've heard about oak trees um, where an oak tree will take 300 years to grow and then it will then take 300 years to continue living and then another final 300 years to sort of slowly decay and die. Um, And what's really interesting about that is that within the final 300 years of the oak tree's life cycle, that's the point where... So that's the point where it's dying and it's decaying. Um, that's also the point where it supports the most other life. So the most, um, the most life that other creatures are able to sort of be, be supported within that, that life cycle is at the final stage. Um, so growth in it, like in it, the economic idea we have of, of growth um, is only really focused on that, that, that growth stage and just like growth and continual growth and it never really is trying to find that form so you know it's growth without a form it's just growth in this kind of like um uh yeah and and um yeah i i suppose there's not that many sort of um things within the natural world which which just continually grow um without taking some sort of form or without killing uh the host um so so uh that's kind of one thing that i I was immediately thinking of is that the growth in and of itself is probably i mean i find the 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 term degrowth slightly problematic because 
it sort of maybe gives the impression that growth, it, we're trying to do the opposite of growth. And I, I don't think that's necessarily it. It's just we need to have growth as part of a lot of other things. Um, and that endless growth can't be, can't be all we're talking about. Um, and that we need to sort of create the conditions where this endless perpetual growth isn't necessarily a requirement or a necessary thing to keep these systems that we're all living in going. And that's kind of where we are at the moment is that the economic structure that we have is, is that you re- you're required to have that, that growth. Well, explanation there about degrowth. Yes, I've got a second question for you. How do you put these ideas into practice in your work or in community? Yeah. Um, so I suppose I found it really useful to give myself some limitations with with uh, with because I, I like I, in sort of previous years I would be thinking about all the different problems there are in the world and it's it's very overwhelming and all the rest of it and it's, it always still is overwhelming but. There's a phrase that I've come across, which is um, dig where you stand. Uh, so you sort of look at these things from exactly where you are. Um, and I find that really helpful because the narratives become both, um, yeah, it, it's more tangible how everything connects. Um, and I found that really useful. And so my work that I've been doing in recent years is to sort of look at um look at the the ways that that um colonization has affected the the land here um and the people here but also how the people here have gone out and played a part in colonization in in other places um in other parts of the world um and how there are really two sides of a coin um and what the processes there are to these things um so then yeah, I was at a, so yeah, a lot of my work is, 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 is just sort of like trying to find the narratives of, of um, how we got to the point where we are today in this place, um, and then how the people of this place have gone to other places and played a role in, in undermining what was there. Um, I, I had a, I was on a, a, a call with when the COP was happening earlier last, uh, late last year, uh, with a group of amazing women from the Amazon, um, and it was a kind of exchange between um, uh, people from from Gallic tradition up here uh, in the Highlands and uh, folks from folks from there in the Amazon, and we were talking about how the 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 the, the pressures that they're having there, uh, and and so there was a there was a phrase that my friend Ian McKinnon used. It was like. You, at the moment, you guys are in the fire, but here we're in the ashes because it's already it's already happened. We've we've already gone through some of these processes, and I think these these narratives to to understand that like in a place like to here, which is like the heart, it's part of the heart of of empire and 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 all the rest of it. Um, we we've we've gone through some similar processes that other places have gone through, and to see that. I think is really empowering in terms of both understanding here um, uh, how we can we can ch- we might be able to change, but also seeing solidarity with all uh, our, our story here as only being a small part of a much larger story, and um, 
and the connections and solidarity that that might that might be able to 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 help with the last question is there is a phrase if it's not just it's not degrowth what that means to you particularly with with looking at this from a sort of decolonization point of view is that we're very careful that this stuff doesn't become exclusionary to people who it's it's not about them and us it's not about um you being allowed in this group and 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 it's not about exclusionary so um we're we're not trying to recreate the past in a way that 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 doesn't allow people to come in um and i think that that is a, is a tendency possibly um or, or or a danger of some of these things that it becomes a little bit cliquey a little bit about boundaries um and yeah there's a there's an amazing um uh, post-colonial theorist amy cesar who 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 has this quote that i just really really love which is for us uh the problem is not to make a utopian and sterile attempt to repeat the past uh but to go beyond um it's not a dead society that we want to revive so it's not a, i don't think any of this stuff can be about reviving things that have gone um but it's learning what we know from the past um to and it's because there's with 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 if we think about like colonization there and, and decolonization there's a point where like colonization sort of came in and happened and there's a danger of that being sort of the end of history and anyone who wasn't there before uh that point is not really part of it or it's not really uh yeah and i think that's that's we need to we're not really trying to revive something um so much as 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 repurpose things and and as i say allow people to come in um so it's living and it's breathing and and these yeah um and also i think there's there's a real danger of of if we just focus on decolonization without thinking about degrowth that um that for instance um we we focus exclusively on things like identity um without looking at class uh and and class needs to be with class and identity uh yeah they need to go together the identity politics and the class politics um so there's allyship rather than opposition Okay, thank you so much both. I was talking to Abby Modern and Cole Gordon there. Yes, there's discussions going on, as I said, every week. Tune in to Degrowth in Scotland podcast. We have discussions going on every week. Next week, I'm looking forward to the episode three. I'll be talking to another two fantastic guests here on the podcast. I'll be talking to Kate Chambers and Joss Allen. Kate is a, a writer and a thinker interested in the relationships between economic systems and the ecological crisis. Kate works as a, a secular economy consultant, helping organizations to, un, to better understand their relationship to resources and waste management. She's also a board trustee on the 2050 Climate Change Group, a charity which ca- empowers young people in Scotland to take climate action in ways that are meaningful to them. And Josh Allen is a co-director on its arts in Alo Sky in the Highlands. You're going to hear me talking both of these guys. Fantastic. So please tune in on the third episode next week. 
um, yeah, tune in. This is this is great to hear all these fantastic people here. And the other update on the thirty first of March, twenty twenty two, we have um, we have an event. Yeah, it's called a gathering event, which means open to anyone can come. You just have to go to www.enough.scot like to register yourself to be part of the event. And yeah, that was that. And uh, yeah, tune in and support us. Go to Facebook, on Instagram, and Twitter. You'll find the growth in Scotland podcast. And yeah, share it around. <laughs>